Indie Filmmakers, you are back with the Intuitive Filmmaker Podcast. I am here with basically my film partner in crime, Chris Edgar. He's a composer, producer, entertainment lawyer, regular lawyer, and I'm pretty sure Batman. Chris, thank you for being here today. It's funny because like we do podcasts all the time for other people together, yeah. but we've never been like, hey, let me interview you. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, this is definitely a departure. I'm just going to jump right into playing with Beethoven because I figure why not break down probably one of the toughest musical pieces we've created, mostly because of budget <laughs> and because of how much different music you were required to do. Um, so to start, for everybody watching and listening, playing with Beethoven is a basically a romantic drama um, that's got how many music pieces do we have? I know there was like over 35 artists playing and singing when it was all said and yeah. done. I think there were around 30 music cues. Um, <laughs> some of them were instrumental cues uh, that just played in the background. So there was underscore, and then there was also music that was performed live on set. Live on set. And what happened was um, I was given playing with Beethoven by Catherine Shevsky, the writer, um, via Twitter. She had sent it to me, and I fell in love with it years ago. Um, and we never could really find money for it. And then we ended up with 30 grand in the bank. And I was like, well, if we don't find any more money, let's just do it, because we're not doing anything else but sitting around on our asses. And I know this is crazy, so I'm gonna go to Chris and go, Chris, how crazy do you feel today? <laughs> what do you, do you remember? Like, I think we were sitting at like somewhere like Daphne's or Panda Express or Panera or somewhere, and I was like, so. <laughs> I've got this movie that's got all this music, which at the time I wasn't even going to do live. Yeah. Well, I think you first told me about it when you said, uh, you know, I don't think we're really going to have any budget for this movie. So would you be willing to be one of many artists? And yes. then it evolved into me being the only, <laughs> <laughs> the only artist. Well, me and Beethoven, to be fair. I, is that how it was? I suckered you in. It was great. It worked. Um, yeah. Well, ultimately it made sense because you you're a composer and you're a singer songwriter. So it made sense for you to kind of just yeah. take over the whole piece and do all of it. Like, I remember thinking, Oh, I have these other composer friends and I can bring everybody in. It'll be less work. But I think ultimately you were probably thinking it made more sense for you to have the overall yeah. sort of flow. I, I always prefer as much control as possible, <laughs> <laughs> which is why I like, I like working on indie films and then I get to do the mix as well. And I get to do every, every second of the work. I mean, well, it, it has its pluses and minuses, but uh, I do, I did like having a hand in, in every aspect of it. Yeah. Well, I remember I was kind of losing um, my fervor for it because it was just so daunting of a task to take on all this music and this casting. It was a huge cast and huge locations and just like, it was, I was just like, I don't want to do this. It's too much work and it's not enough money. And then one day I went, but what if we do it live? <laughs> and I don't, <laughs> I remember, did I text you or did I call you? I feel like I called you and I was like, so. <laughs> Cause I don't think you took it well at first. It, it was another step in the sinister plan to, <laughs> to sucker me into doing the most ambitious musical film project in history. But, and it really is. I mean, if you look at something like Green Book, the, the Oscar winning film, um, where, uh, you know, Chris Bowers was the pianist and the composer. And uh, of course, he recorded his tracks. They did not perform any of that live. Right. Um, because I know Mahershala Ali was, was great at looking like he could play piano and he could practice a lot, but he could not play at the level of, you know, Don, Don Shirley. Um, yeah. But we actually had the people, we had our two lead actors were virtuoso pianists for anyone who's not familiar with this film. 
Um, and a lot of our other actors were musicians too, and they actually played it all live on set. We mic'd up every type of set from <laughs> an apartment to, I mean, and, and specifically for music performance. Yes. Um, to a giant theater. David Shatnoff came in like a crazy person and said, sure, I'll do this low yeah. budget project with you in this massive <laughs> undertaking. Uh, we love you, Dave. And then he came out as a producer because at that point you're like, I'm all in. Cause yeah. I think that kind of, that's one thing about this kind of movie is that it's such a small, tiny crew of people putting together this massive project that everybody who comes in is kind of all in, yeah. you know, like whether you're um, a PA or like I think our PA, like we had like um, Walker and Casey came in as PAs and ended up being like ADs and grips and like associate producers. It just, it was one of those kind of projects. But anyway, so then we do, we decided we're doing live music and one of the biggest and most important parts of that is now we have to cast pianist first. So at, they have to act, but we basically do piano auditions first. Because a lot of actors are like, oh yeah, I can play. And then we send out a piece of music that's like, you have to be able to play at this level. And some actors still go, oh yeah, yeah, I can do that. And then they step in the audition room and they can't even kind of yep. do that. Yeah, and it could be that they just weren't anticipating that they, they until the very last minute when they were actually asked to play piano, they didn't think that we could actually be serious that right, we wanted right. them to play live. It was like, okay, I can look like I'm playing live. That's what you want, right? It's not actually playing the piano. Come on. I know, because that would be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and no, so we got we lucked out. I remember I think um our Charlotte, um, she was the first person to audition, if I remember correctly, or very close to the top she like was she, one of the first yeah she set the bar for everybody because we just, she just started to play and we all were like like it was like that commercial with the sony speakers and the hairs blown back yeah. <laughs> like that's how we felt i think when she played yeah i mean she is a pianist first and was a piano prodigy as a kid um and is i mean and really is an, an internationally recognized classical pianist um but we did we did throw her some curveballs she got the opportunity to play some, uh, to play some jazz. Yeah. Which she was some, kind of yeah. nervous about, wasn't she? Yeah, because she had never soloed before. Um, and then I was thinking, you know, if you want to improvise this part, I was telling her, uh, you know, just go ahead. And she was saying, I've, I've never improvised on piano. I've just played Bach or something like that with 100% perfection. Well, and uh, let's also note that um, it's, it's also mentioned too that Naomi, and I can't even, how do you even say her last name? Drusic? I think it's Druskic. <laughs> Glad you could do that. She literally, without us knowing, flew from Bosnia, right? Yeah. And auditioned. We didn't know this because we would have never, we would have said, send in a tape. Um, and then when we had callbacks, we were like, just send in a tape, but she flew in again. Like she, when an actor wants a part that, first of all, actors that are watching if you yeah. want a part that bad you better be good do not <laughs> like we would have thought this person is crazy and there's no way we're casting yeah. her but she was so good we couldn't deny yeah. um and, and her and it was her first feature film so her acting was um she luckily she has a magnet magnetism about her so i think it works because she's definitely not like schooled whereas yeah. now we have our our lead who's against her eric who is a professional. Yeah. Eric Floyd, um, he actually emailed me a letter, which again, actors, please don't do that. It actually annoys me when actors email me like, please, please audition me. But his letter was so from the heart. And so like, listen, this is my life. Here's who my parents are. Here's what my life was like. Like this character is me, please let me audition. So of course we let him audition. And when he came in, I already had a little bit of like, oh God, please let him be good. Cause he really wants the part. And he could definitely play. 
um, not as well as Naomi, but who can, <laughs> came in. And um, his acting was great. Like you could tell he'd been doing it for a while. And so I think we got lucky in having these two leads that were in some weird way, both magnetic and could pull off the acting. And I mean, are they Oscar performances? No, but also they've given the circumstances of like, here, look, you have like, you know, these, you know, these intense piano pieces you have to learn that come are coming first before the acting, like, you know? Yeah. I was worried that, well, that was one of the many worries I had when, <laughs> when you told me that we were going to be doing this with live performances, but I was worried that it would simply be too much to ask of an actor and we'd end up with a situation where they just said, look, I just can't come in and do this anymore. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, that, that didn't happen. And they, they loved that aspect of it. I mean, and they were they, barely getting yeah. paid. I mean, they were, it, they were basically being paid minimum wage as you do on these indie films. Yeah. Um, it was fantastic. And then we had, uh, as far as more music goes, we had, um, okay, so let's just start from the beginning of the film. Like we had the toy band. <laughs> so Catherine wrote in that there's a toy band that plays and they're all on toy instruments. But Chris being the perfectionist he is was like, this sounds terrible. <laughs> so he basically forced my hand, but it actually worked out in the end where we combined some toy instruments. Like we kept the toy piano and then we kept some like toy maracas and things like that, but we blended it with real instruments. Yeah. But you, one thing is I did not want the accordion. I was just like, <laughs> no accordion, that's horrible. But you're like, you for some reason you really wanted the accordion with this. Yeah, I wanted, I mean, to do something that was quirky because I think that's, that was what was at least implicitly called for by the script when she's talking about this toy band. And I was thinking, what's a kind of a hokey instrument that I can put in that is not just purely a kazoo or some kind of right. toy? So, okay, accordion seemed like the natural choice. Yeah, it, it actually works. Like, I actually think that I have a respect for accordion. And Christy was adorable and one of our better, uh, you know, talents on set. And just, I think our whole band, like, we threw even producer, our producer, Brandon Poehler, who was busting his butt to help yeah. get this film made. Um, and he had never even produced a feature before. Like, he just was like in the trenches, figuring it out. Um, we were like, oh, you know how to play drums. Get in there. You're yeah. going to be the, you know, some percussion. Yeah. Like that was the kind of film this was. Like Casey, who was our uh, associate producer and AD, she ended up playing maracas in the toy band. And like we had friends who came out. We're like, just can you just come out and be in the band? And we just basically gave them something. Yeah. And you were like, here, just stay on beat. We had Nathan Harrington, the star of Us, <laughs> or one of the stars. Which was also the star yeah. of the breakout of rock opera. Right, exactly. Look that up. That comes first, on Amazon yeah. Prime. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he was actually he came on set to be our assistant sound with David for the setting up all the mics, and then we threw him in to play some stuff. I think did he play guitar or what did he play? He was playing a percussion instrument. We yeah. there's a lot of makeshift percussion instruments in that scene with people <laughs> banging on. Oh yeah, we had him play on like yeah. a. Do we have him play a bicycle wheel yeah. or something? Because Josh in the film has a bicycle, and we thought it'd be funny to have someone just play in the rim of a bicycle. We which another, that's another story about Beethoven. We should have a whole episode where we just have the whole team come do this. Yeah. Because like one of the funny things about Beethoven is it was written that Josh's bicycle would constantly have, um, he was always on the bicycle and then at one point his wheel gets stolen. And we're like, we're too low budget. <laughs> we can't deal with the stolen wheel and putting the bicycle on the bus and all this stuff. So we just basically didn't do it. But in homage to Catherine's script, I was like, let's have him play on the rim. Um, that was fun. We also had a gospel choir fill with some of the most crazy, insane, talented yeah. singers. Like, I cannot believe they all came out to do that for us. Yeah, I mean, those those were a lot of musical theater people who 
um, were amazing theater performers who were looking for their first film credit. Really? Oh, they were great. And like now we have like they've gone on to do some crazy things like Star in the Color Purple touring around the country right, right. now. And um, we Lindsay Zana was in the choir and then she ended up being one of the leads for our last project, Shake It Up. Like it's just like just talent. I feel so lucky to have them. Um, what am I forgetting? Oh, our kid toy band. So one of the things we ended up doing was we teamed up with Ola, which is um, Heart of LA, which is a kids, and jumping anywhere, I'm screwing this up, but <laughs> which is basically an organization that helps underprivileged youth be exposed to music, like classical music and jazz and things like that, right? Yeah. They teach them to play. And um, so we actually used their name in the film, worked with them, had a couple of their students actually in the kid band, and then we worked with Cal Arts, which is an advanced, is it called Cal Arts? It's the, it's the school in San Gabriel. Yeah, I think it is. I think California it is California School of Arts. Because yeah. um, there's a college called that. But uh, yeah, it's a school for youth that basically is all music driven. And these kids are crazy talented. Yeah. Like you've called in some of the kid violinists for other projects to, have, <laughs> to yeah. play, haven't you? So like we created this sort of rock jazz fusion. Most of them I think were classical and more classical and jazz related, but Chris and I are very much like we like rock. <laughs> so you somehow made it work and made it this jazz rock fusion. Yeah, and um, I thought that because they're teenagers that we would need to do a lot more rehearsals. So we had all these two hour rehearsal blocks scheduled and of course they came in and just played it like clockwork. Isn't that crazy? At exactly the same tempo every time, even though there was no click track. Oh, well we had the, we had the, basically the live stuff with the pianist. So we had the, the dueling piano bar mm -hmm. where they play against each other. Um, and we had the end duet piece, which is still, I think my favorite song of all the songs you made for the film I think the end piece is still my favorite. And, and that's an that's an excerpt from, it's movement number two of Beethoven's Piano Sonata number eight, which is this slow sort of ballad type piece. But like, you know what? Okay, let's talk about the Beethoven stuff because here's the cool thing about Chris and this film, I feel, is I honestly would think you've composed everything because you were able to pick, so one, we picked like, for instance, uh, Pathetique. We're like, okay, this is Josh's competition song. So now for all the Josh stuff, we're going to pick pieces of Pathetique for the soundtrack. Yeah. And it works. Do you know what I'm saying? So like, even like you're like, oh, I picked this song from Beethoven as the end song, but it works so well that it feels like you've composed it. Like how, do you just know a lot of Beethoven? Like how, or did you just listen to hundreds of hours? Like. I did do a lot of research trying to find the appropriate piano pieces and you know what I could um, convert into a jazzy format uh, <laughs> and because because that's one of the key aspects of the film is um, there some of the one of the songs that the gospel choir performs is a hybrid of Beethoven and a gospel piece that I wrote. Um, it's sort of half and half. It, it uses a melody from Beethoven's Sixth Symphony. There's a ja there are, are jazzy versions of I think all of the movements of of pathetique of, of piano sonata number eight um, at various points in the film. Wow, I'm uh, just like I. That's the thing when I was editing this film, like I would just be like, Chris is a mad genius. Like just, well, it's just really well done. And like if and I always say this. I say this every time we talk. I've said this to you off of you know camera. Now I say it on camera and on mic. Is that like. At the very end of the day, love or hate the film, you're. I think you're going to love the music pieces, and you're going to definitely respect the music pieces, and the music pieces make this film special. 
Because, you know, there's a lot of people who go out and do indie indie films. And, you know, we all in the indie world, we've done our film, you know, the, the 10,000, the 30,000, in our case, it was like the $30,000 range film. We've all done these films. And like, you don't, you know, it's like you always go, is the festival going to think it's special? Is an audience going to think it's special? Is it going to get distribution? And at the end of the day, I think that we have something special because of what you created musically. You and Beethoven. <laughs> I think, do you think Beethoven would be happy with this? Do you think he'd be like high-fiving us or he'd be like rolling <laughs> over in his grave right now? Yeah, I mean, well, there's there's been so many reinterpretations of Beethoven. I mean, I think this probably is far from the most objectionable one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure if Chris had his chance, he'd do like a death metal reinterpretation. <laughs> I, well, death, death metal is one of the few genres that I don't feel like I, I, I didn't necessarily want to write in because it has non-melodic vocals. Like they're all screamed or growled. Yeah. Like if I'm, I do, I do have a heavy metal oriented piece um, that, you know, I just, I just had my reading of my musical. Yes. Um, but that, yeah, the, that's a little bit more traditional in the sense the, the, the <laughs> vocals are all melodic. Um, so, obviously, we've worked together on a lot of projects, um, but I would, and you've worked with a ton of other directors on other projects. Is there something that filmmakers can do to make their composer's life easier? Is there something that's like, is there, because I knew we, I have always joked and I've tweeted about it that like, my language to you is, can we, I need to get a little more whoosh and then a little yeah. boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and you're like, somehow you understand what mm -hmm. I'm saying. Um, so for directors who don't speak the music language, what can we do to get you to understand what we're looking for? Yeah, and, and that's it's a great question because I don't think I've ever worked with a director who's also a musician. I, I, usually usually they're, the two work entirely separate. And I think that's fine because then if they were a musician, they might be micromanaging aspects yeah. of it in ways that a director without that uh, background wouldn't be. But, I mean, I, I would say, first of all, uh, I wouldn't be, don't be afraid to be concrete in terms of what you send the composer. I mean, if you want to send a YouTube video or an MP3 or something like that of a specific piece that you think would fit in a scene. Um, because, uh, at least from my own perspective, when I get sent a piece like that, uh, I... I end up producing something that doesn't sound like a facsimile of the piece. Like no matter what I do, it's right. going to have some degree of originality um, simply because I produced it rather than whoever wrote that piece. Um, even though I may try to use some of the sounds or some of the instrumentation or something like that. Well, and it worked, it's worked for our working relationship. Uh, Shake it up is a great example. Cause I literally just said, here's the song. I, I want this feeling. Yeah. And then you created that feeling without it doesn't sound like that song. So I think that it's, it's such a good way to get you, I, I don't know if all composers that way, but at least for, for you, you, I think, I wonder if some composers get, would hate it because it gets them stuck on like, oh God, now I have to make it sound like this, you know? Yeah. But luckily you don't. Yeah, I mean, it, if I, um, if I put the burden on myself of trying to do a pastiche of this particular piece, like it, um, I need to have the vocals sound exactly like Michael Jackson or something like that because the song was "Can the song was Can You Feel It" the Jackson Five song that you sent to me to inspire "Shake It Up." Um, then I think I would feel more constrained. But because I had worked with you before, I, I, I think I realized well what we're going for is more of a general feeling. I just want um, it's like can people dance to this in the streets and make me feel yeah. happy when I'm watching it? Then we've nailed it, yeah. <laughs> which we did, I think. Um, so, okay, in an ideal situation, how do you want to work with a director? So, like, what's the first thing that would happen? Uh, well, we, we sit down together and we watch the film, um, ideally from beginning to end, and then we can talk about 
where uh, we both believe that music belongs and hopefully come to some kind of agreement about do that. Do you kind of cue to cue? Do you kind of like stop the film as you're watching and, or do you just make notes while you're watching? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, yeah, it's important to stop and start the film. Um, of course, it's important for the composer to have watched the film a couple times before that. Uh, so, they so basically you've watched the movie and then you're sitting with the director now sort of re-watching it together and talking yep. about different different ideas you've come up with. I, it's funny because we haven't actually had it this way. Kind of with Beethoven, I was kind of like, I don't want music here in this scene and, and can you compose something here? But but that was different because we were with each other from the beginning because you were yep. producing on it too. And um, so we haven't actually had this like, here, I'm bringing you a film you haven't seen yep. yet. Um, okay, so, so you guys do your cue to cue and then what, you kind of go away and work out some stuff. Mm -hmm. And then what happens from there? Well, yeah, I mean, I'll just usually work cue by cue starting from the beginning. And then what I'll do is what I typically do with you now, which is um, send you a video. I, I think it's important to use a DAW or digital audio workstation that can render these videos um, with both the, the picture, score and the dialogue. Yeah. Uh, I think th because the directors always like to have something visual and it's, of course, a lot more convenient for them if it we're is. on an indie film but we don't have an editor where I can tell the yeah. editor, drop it in at this particular yes. time code and send it to the director. There's, there's no long workflow like it that. It is super it. helpful yeah. for me to do that. And you're really good at mixing so that, because you know me, you know that like I hate when the music overpowers so you'll yeah. like pull it down but some directors may love it. So like you, um, that has worked really well. And the other thing is you're so fast that I think that for what I've noticed with your work style is that you, you'll do a song and then you send that. And then while, while I'm looking at that, you're working on the next song. Is that typical for you? Well, yeah. And usually because the deadlines tend to be fairly strict. <laughs> Indie <laughs> film is nuts. It's like, yeah. it's like, Oh, this took me a year to edit, but now you get two weeks to do yeah. the music for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and that, that's fairly typical. And sometimes with an indie film, it can be, oh, yeah, just send me something, you know, when you have the time because, you know, we don't really know what we're going to do with this at this point. So it really varies from project to project. Um, yep. So on this this particular show, one of the things I really love to talk about is sort of what happens um, in this business, how do you how you feel, you know, mentally and physically at times. It's so stressful when you have these deadlines. Um, I think you had one recently, if I remember correctly, they wanted to submit to Sundance and you had like these insane, like, yeah. I'm not sleeping deadlines. Like, does that, what kind of havoc is that created on your body? I mean, or how are you, are you just figuring out ways to deal with it and stay healthy through it? Um, I've basically resolved not to stay up all night. <laughs> so any way that I can finagle my schedule, if I have to, you know, uh, if I have to take all non-essential items off the schedule to avoid staying up all night or to avoid staying up until two in the morning or whatever would have me feel crappy the following day, uh, that's such I'll good do that. advice. I because I don't think most of us do that. Like I'll easily have times where I'm like, oh man, it's three o'clock, but I, one more thing, one more thing, yeah. and then you feel like crap the next half of the day. So I think it's smart to try to get yourself on the schedule of like, and also to set boundaries with your producers and directors where it's like. I work for you from whatever it is. I'll, like, I'll give you 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., but that's all you get. Like, don't text me after 10, don't, you know, or after 5, whatever your boundaries are. Yeah, and it, it may be as simple as just saying, well, I probably tend to go to bed a little bit earlier than the really the super nocturnal people in this business because at least I find that people tend to be night owls. Well, especially doing this, yeah, music and editing. I think partly because, you, like you said, there's so much responsibility during the day. There's all these, yeah. like, well, I have to run to the bank and I have to take these meetings and I have to, you know. Um, be on Facebook, whatever it is, and suddenly come 
midnight, none of those things matter. Everybody right. else is in bed, so you, you're really yeah. productive. Yeah, well, for me, that uh, that occurs at, you know, 5 or 5.30 in the morning as opposed to midnight. Yeah. Um, that's when I find, I mean, that's when I'm at sort of the peak of my energy, and I'm, I can get really excited. Um, whereas if it gets to be about 11 p.m., then I'm thinking, oh, man, I really, yeah. Um, I, I, then I think I start to lose my, my sense of inspiration and it becomes this Makes kind of sense. mechanical thing. Like you might as well sleep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I actually was told one of the greatest pieces of advice I ever got about sort of when you're editing film, which may relate to music, is that like as an editor, you always tend to stop. Like, okay, I'm going to finish this scene and then stop. But the, the advice was, no, when you're about to get really like hot and you know exactly where you're heading, you stop there because you already know when you sit back down exactly where you're going to go as yeah. opposed to trying to force yourself to go okay now what's next yeah so it might make sense that you're like oh 9 p.m click <laughs> <laughs> um so your whole like when you do you ever have you ever had producers or directors i mean probably i'm probably one of them <laughs> but that like drive you crazy to the point where you're just like i don't know like you like how do you deal with that aspect of like, ugh, I really want to strangle this person, but I'm going to, it probably helps that you work alone most of the time. <laughs> so you could curse us out without us hearing you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, ideally I'm always improving. I think this is a good mentality. Ideally I'm always improving with every piece of music I write, regardless of whether that piece of music is actually used. Um, and I think that's true. Um, even though it's sometimes not a hundred, it's not it's not a completely linear process. Um, it's not the, the way that you improve is not a hundred percent obvious. Um, still, just writing cue after cue, you're going to improve. Um, and I think an improvement is always possible doing this. I think regardless of which level you're at. I like so it. In, even if it has to be thrown away because the director hates it. Um, I, yeah, I've still benefited from this process. That also is such great advice because I think that as, as a director, there's times where you're just like, this person is an idiot <laughs> I have to deal mm -hmm. with. And you just, and it's better to probably go, okay, what can I take from this? How can I learn to communicate better or to work better with people who don't know what they're doing or, um, and I've tried to adapt that in my, in my older, wiser days, <laughs> because I do think there was a time in my younger days where it was just like, you know, it, you just become like, you, you almost put a person off. Like, I don't want to work with that person. That person's crazy. I can't deal with them. Instead of like, okay, where is their frustration coming from? Or why are, you know, it, a lot of times it's, if I'm frustrated with you, I don't want to say frustrated with you because I'm not really frustrated with you, but like if I'm frustrated and I'm like, this isn't working, Chris, it's really my frustration at myself because I don't know how to communicate what I want. And it's hard as the person who's getting the frustration thrown at you to be like, this isn't me. <laughs> this isn't me, you know? Yeah. Well, and I, and I know you so well that I think we can laugh about it a little bit. And so it doesn't seem, <laughs> it, it doesn't seem like such a serious matter because I know, I know how fiery you get about oh, the yeah. projects that you're working on. Um, and you're going to get that way regardless of whether you <laughs> like the piece. Uh, <laughs> That's true. So basically I want you to shuffle this deck and then pull out a word. And then we're just going to see where the conversation goes based on the word that you feel. Here's where the Intuitive Filmmaker podcast gets very intuitive. It does. All right. We've had such great conversations with this, too. What word did you pull? Trust. Oh, that's an interesting word to pull with us having a podcast mm -hmm. together right now. I love it. What does that bring up for you? Like, what's the first thing that pops in your head? Well, 
trusting in the trajectory of my career right now. I mean, I take on all kinds of music opportunities, including things that I create from scratch, like The Breakout, which was the first project that we worked on together, and this new musical that I'm doing. And then I do music for other people and get, and get paid to do that. And sometimes I worry, well, you know, I really should just focus on doing score and, and turn down every other opportunity. Um, but what I've chosen to do instead is to trust that I, um, that, you know, w w what I feel pulled toward or attracted toward is what I should go for. I love that. It's, we talk about that a lot on this show. Like, once you find your true north, always head in that direction, you know, that your callings, head in your yep. direction. So if you're calling, um, which we have never really talked about, like, well, we will, I'll, I'll, we'll get into that. But like, you know, if I, my calling, for instance, is I really want to do big musicals or um, romantic dramedies on, say, the Universal lot for big studios, right? So I kind of trust that everything I'm doing is leading me to that, but I also say no to the things that I think are way off now because I used to be all over the place. Like, oh, sure, I'll do this horror movie <laughs> or I'll do this, you know, cheesy web series. But if the web series has some kind of romantic element or comedy element, then it's on my line. And I, and if it feels good, if it feels like the producers are somebody I want to work with or the projects that I want to do, it all, like now I'm kind of in that, like, trusting my gut. Like, does it feel good? Does this next step feel good? Does this next step feel good? And then kind of moving that way which I think has become the path of least resistance some, in some way and is a lot more fun. Um, you get, I'm sure you get thrown a lot of stuff though because you can compose. <laughs> like you can literally do any genre of anything. So is there any time where you're like, you know what, I just, this doesn't feel good, I'm not gonna do it. Uh, well, I guess in terms of the relationships with the people, um, if it seems like someone who is going to be they're going to be telling me, I told you to do this and you didn't do it. And they're going to oh. have this really sort of scolding tone with me. Or they want then, to sit with you while you're creating. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> that there, doesn't work. There were a couple of projects where, yeah, the, the, the person I was working with wanted to do both of those things. And I just told them very, and, and, and I was happy that I was able to tell them very quickly that I don't think this is going to work for me. Right. And there may be, I don't know if there's any composer who would do that, but there may be composers who love that. There may be, it's like when I'm editing, I don't want anybody around because yeah. I don't want somebody going, wait, 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 no, no, no. I have a whole process. I'm going to show you at the end of the process <laughs> that scene and then you can tell me your notes and then we can even sit together if you yeah. want but not through the process um, what came up for me when you said the word trust was really trusting who you're working with which I think goes to the same conversation like if um, for I I actually just said this to her. So my daughter Harley is 16 and she decided she wanted to start a band. So of course she goes to Chris going, I have these lyrics. Can you help me make a song? And he made a genius song and they just were in the studio. And um, she was like, I can't wait to hear the song. I can't wait to hear the song. And I was like, I know Chris and you are so quick to do things. And if you, ha and if she hasn't heard the song yet, it's because you're still perfecting it because you're not somebody who just sits around on something. Yeah. And I said that, I was like, if I always know when I send you something, if I'm like, like if it's an actor reel, and I'm like, yeah, this can you compose for this reel? I never have to follow up. I never even set a date, like check in with Chris, because I trust that when you're done, you're gonna send it to me and you're probably gonna be done in a day or two days. And if you haven't been done in two days, it's because something's like, I, I never have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. And I also trust that, um, if I give you something, it's gonna come back 
better than what I expected. And then if for some reason it doesn't fit, I trust that I can tell you that without you being butthurt about it. Like, it's so nice to have, I think that's why we keep working together, yeah. at least on my side, because it's so nice to have that trust for someone to know mm -hmm. that like, it, it's going to get done. It's going to get done well. And there's not going to be any bullshit around it, you know? Yeah, and you have always believed in me from the first, uh, almost the you first You brought me talked. the freaking breakout. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, that's like, how would I not trust? Oh. I mean, it's so good. And it's so, it's, the breakout to me is still one of my favorite things I've ever gotten to do yeah. because it just, one, your trust in me to like create a vision. You basically had, that was your baby. You probably saw it, which I know we've kind of talked about. You saw it in a way that wasn't what was ended up on screen, but I think ultimately you liked what was on screen. But, like, we didn't have a ton of money. We, it was basically a short feature film um, that we did on short film money. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, uh, we had – we everything about that film just – it was some kind of magic. Like, who we got to cast, the locations we got, the things – the shots we were pulling off um, – and it was a tense set because I was very demanding of what I wanted to pull off with the time we had, but it was, uh, I just, I don't know. I'm still really proud of that project. Yeah, no, absolutely. Even though we made a 42 minute film, we managed to get into a bunch <laughs> of festivals. <laughs> and it's weird because it's not a short, but sometimes it gets programmed as a short and sometimes it gets yeah. programmed as a feature and somehow it still finds a life. Mm -hmm. That says a lot about that movie, I think. Right, they, because programmers realize that they got to do something with it, even if it's no matter that how bizarre the length. Good. Yeah, yeah. I really like. It's going to be interesting to see how Beethoven plays with festivals because it is a feature, so it does take a whole a whole segment up. Um, it's not. It doesn't have a bunch of names. We got Shannon Elizabeth and Kadeem Hardison, who I love them. They both were great, but for the, that's it. So there's no name pool to get us in. Um, it is low budget. Like it, it's not going to look like a $2 million, $8 million movie. Yeah. Um, but it's special. So I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> We're going to see how that all goes, I guess. Um, and we'll keep everybody posted on where they can see it and all that good stuff. Um, I can't let you out of here without um, giving you, though, our intuitive filmmaker if questions. First of all, if you had to quit showbiz completely... What would you do? Uh, I think that I would be interested in either being a psychotherapist. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow that makes total sense. <laughs> and watch the breakout, it'll really make sense. Right. But also because you're helping people, you know. Um, yeah, and, and ideally, um, in, in sort of a nonlinear way, uh, my projects do help people to get a perspective on the, the things in their life that bother them and, and the, the events in their life that keep coming up and so on. That's what Love I would it. hope for anyway. Um, if you could only compose for one genre of film, what would you do? I would love to keep making movie musicals. Yeah. I mean, particularly after, I mean, I, yeah, I, I've got to, I, I have to find some way to help you to hear this, this Danny in the Darkness stuff. I uh, can't wait. We did this, we did a reading um, at New Musicals, Inc., who generously produced the whole thing and got all these incredible actors. Um, and we only had one rehearsal, so I had no idea how it was going to go. I didn't invite that many people. I thought, oh God, what's, you know. Um, and then everybody came in and completely killed it. Unfortunately, the live stream didn't, yes, didn't record. I tried to watch it. Mm -hmm. and it. And it's very sad because I love it. Um, yeah, I, I feel like, both of us, if we could just do, but see, our musicals might be different because that's very heavy. But I think you would probably do almost any musical. Like if I was like, let's do a, 
Hello Dolly style musical, you'd still be like, yes, let's do it. Yeah, we also we almost have a number like that in playing with Beethoven. Yeah. Um, that 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 co-host of Two Nerds in the Garage, uh, John <laughs> Curtis performs. Yeah, with yeah. the lovely Shannon Elizabeth, yeah. we make her sing. Um, if nothing else, you watch it so you can hear Shannon sing. If you could work with any actor on your next project, who would you do? Hmm. Um, you know, um, why is it that? Oh, uh, you know, Emma Stone. Yeah, uh, would be one of them. Um, I can see that because you like that sort of edgy rocker chick vibe for yeah. your stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was almost, I, I, she was one of the people who I had in mind to possibly be Danny's daughter uh, in, in Danny and the Darkness if I could have my complete druthers about who I cast. I could see it. I could see and it. And also I loved her in Maniac. She's like a grown up version of our Emma. Hmm. So like, you know, break out Emma gr yeah. grows up. Um, okay. If you could tell your younger self one thing, what would you say? Well, it would probably have to do with trust um, and understanding that, that chasing after respectability uh, is not necessarily going to get you the benefits that you want because really what you're doing is looking for your own respectability wow. um, as opposed to someone else's respect. Uh, and that was a lesson that it took me a long time to learn and I think was one of the reasons why it took me a while. I had this... Um, kind of winding career path. I don't know if I've learned that lesson yet, but I'm trying really hard. Um, okay, and finally, now we get to your true calling. If your ultimate dream came true, what are you doing? Uh, I would be working on, uh, well, I think I would be still doing composing incidental music for films, um, but I, I, I would be working on musicals. I mean, I, I realize, you know, it's the sort of giggling that we talked about during the breakout. I mean, uh, and the giggling and the bouncing off the walls and so on. I think that it's, it's really musical theater that causes me to do that the most, or, or, or musical theatery films. Well, we made it through. We've actually, I, I'm impressed because I thought this was gonna be a two hour podcast because <laughs> I was like, I purposely had to stop myself a lot to, to, to talk on things. I do think we should have a whole Beethoven team oh, yeah, thing absolutely. somehow because it would be festival so day. fun, yes. Mm. Um, but I'm glad that you were able to stop by and we were able to do this and you were able to be a part of the initial Intuitive Filmmaker podcasts. And um, I look forward to what's next. Yeah, no, me too. You've been listening to the Intuitive Filmmaker Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, as that helps others find us, which helps us to keep delivering great content to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all of your other favorite podcast apps.